I'm an alcoholic. Had a few people in my life uh, with stage four cancer, and they've been given things from their doctor saying you have a very short time to live. And I was just thinking if that, if I was ever in that position, I would hope that David would give me a CD of just all his jokes. And I could listen to it and it would make it seem like forever. Well, I'm not going to be asked back here again. I can do that. Yeah. Sure. So, it is. I, how many people in here go to church? How many people in here that go to church confuse church and AA? Good. Because alcoholics for many centuries have been confusing church with AA cause, and thinking that there's an answer there. And there's, a good, there's good stuff there. But when it comes to alcoholism, AA is the deal. It's the deal. Church is fine. Going to the gym is fine. But AA is the only treatment for alcoholism. And there was, a, there was this horrible drunk. He's just, he just burned his life to the ground. And he's, he's walking down the street. And he's in despair. And everything's horrible. And he's lost everything. And he doesn't know what to do. And he's got problems in every front of his life. And he, he's walking by this church. And he hears the, the music, the hymns. And he thinks to himself, you know, I'm not much on church, but I, maybe they could help me. Maybe I'll go in there. And he goes in, and he's sitting in the back of the, and the pastor, it's a fundamentalist church. The pastor does what they call an altar call, where the people that have problems come up and will lay hands on you and will pray over you for your problems. And uh, the guy thinks to himself, man, I got a bunch of problems. And I don't even know which one to tell him about, but I got a bunch. And he, so he, he shuffles up to the front to the older call, and he's kneeling down there, and the guy comes up, and he, he says, Son, what troubles you? And, and the guy says, well, well, sir, it's my hearing. Not a problem. Puts his hands on the guy's head and prays fervently. And hmm. he says, how's your hearing? He says, I don't know. It's not till Tuesday. <laughs> You say that in AA, they'd say, do you have an, an attorney? I mean, we jumped jump to the chase right away. Um, one of the things that was to me uh, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous was step 11. When I got sober in 1978, one of the things in addition to therapy uh, and, and combinations and medications and various things that I tried to treat my alcoholism with I went to a lot of yoga meditation retreats. I did a lot. I did, I did TM. I got a, a mantra from TM. I did divine light mission. I, I did uh, Raja yoga, trying to chakras around. I did a lot of that stuff, not because I wanted to grow spiritually or I wanted to be more useful or any of that stuff, primarily for some self-serving reasons. 
One is it was cool and hip back in the hippie days to do meditation. We could go to a party and you could say to some some guy or girl in the party, just say, uh, so do you meditate? And if they said no, you could go and walk away and feel spiritually superior, right? Uh, also, in a yoga class or in a, in a meditation seminar, there was a really good chance to acquire two things. You could buy really good marijuana in those places. And also, some of those yoga chicks were easy to get laid with. I mean, just so I, I liked I liked those things. I thought it was cool. I get sober in 1978. I go to meetings and every once in a while, I'm in a meeting where they're talking or mentioning the 11th step. And I'm hearing people share. And they're not sharing. Now, I went to a lot of these seminars, a lot of this stuff. Nothing they're sharing matches that stuff I learned back in the day. None of it. And I, uh, I thought, well, I'm gonna, I want to get into this eleventh uh, step, and I don't think it was because I wanted to be more useful or a greater servant or align my will with God's or any of the reason that AA suggests. I think it was so that I could be superior spiritually to the people in AA that evidently didn't know anything about meditation. So I went to the book because my sponsor, when he asked, I, my sponsor said, well, just look at the book. I looked at the book. And I started reading the section on uh, step 11, and it starts on uh, page 86. And the bottom of it actually starts in the bottom of page 85, where you can tell they're going to start talking about step 11 because in italics it says step 11. And it says step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer, better men than we are. Of using it constantly, it works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. It would be easy to be vague about this matter. What matter? Step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So the book says it would be easy to be vague about this, but yet we can, we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. So they're setting me up to give me directions and suggestions on step 11. Very clear. And here's what I start to read. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. We're resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid. Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves? Or was I kind and loving towards all? What could I have done? And I'm reading this, and I'm thinking, that ain't right. That's step 10. And back in the day, we used to, we were suggesting, well, you take your step 10 at night before you go to bed. And this is talking about step 11. And I thought, that ain't right. And I read further down the page. I read all the way to the end of the chapter. And there's nothing in there that matches what I know meditation consists of. There's some prayers, several, that we ask for our thinking be divorced from uh, uh, self-pity, dishonest, self-seeking motives. We ask for freedom from self-will. Um, we ask for inspiration. There's, there's prayers, but there's nothing that even remotely looks like meditation till the end of the chapter, nothing. And so by the time I'm pursuing this, I don't realize it, but my ego has come back just enough 
that like most egocentric people, I don't follow any directions that aren't my idea or that I don't agree with. So I never did the directions in this part of the book. Never followed them. And it wasn't that I didn't try to do something. I, Through my whole sobriety, I've always prayed in the morning. I pray at night. I, I read, uh, very, we used to have those daily readers, you know, 24-hour book, day by day, one day at a time. I used to read that stuff. I uh, did the prayer of St. Francis out of the 12 steps and 12 traditions. Step 11, I found a different version. Um, the, the version I liked a little better was instead of make me, Lord, make me a channel, it said make me an instrument of thy peace. It's a, the wording's a little bit different, similar intention. Uh, I found, uh, I, I heard somebody mention a meditation and I couldn't remember what it was and I tried to figure it out and I couldn't figure it out. So I, here's what I came up with. And I started saying this, I wrote it down as I tried to remember it and couldn't remember it, but I wrote down as best I could. And I started saying this uh, every morning and it's, um, I am the place where God shines through. Him and I are one, not two. I need not worry, fret, or plan. He wants me where and as I am. And if I could be relaxed and free, he'll carry out his plan through me. I started saying that in the mornings. I like that. I still like to this day, still use that. Still use the prayer of St. Francis to this day. Those things center me and return me back to my purpose. I, I started exploring churches, amazed at how my church in my childhood had gotten better. Um, I was, I, I did the rosary, too tedious for me. I, I went to the Chuck Chamberlain and used to, was involved with the Church of Religious Science for a period of time. He was really good friends with Wendell Holmes. I went there for a while, intellectually kind of cool, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I saw it, I went to the Course in Miracles. I did that for a year. Uh, I went back. I, did, I went back and did SGI. You know the Namne uh, Kyo, chanting that along with the big litany of that you chant. I tried that again. Uh, I did a lot of stuff, and it's all good. The book says, "Be quick." In the bottom of page eighty-seven. Be quick to see where these people, these spiritual religious people, are right. Make use of what they offer. But I think the intention is in addition to, not in substitution for. And so I'm doing all this other stuff, which is all good, but I'm not doing what's in the book because it doesn't match up with my preconceived notion of what it should say. And I sponsor a guy who's sober a long time. He's double digit sobriety and I'm, and I'm in past, I think somewhere past 20, I guess. And he comes to me and he he's very serious. He wants me to give him specific concrete direction on what to do in step 11 in the morning. Well, I want to help the guy. The problem is I've done so many different things that I, I don't know what to tell him because none of it's really definitive. It's like it's all good, but I don't have one thing that's the home run. I have some stuff that's good. It's helped me, but no home run. So I said to him what they teach you in secret sponsor school to tell a, a sponsee when you don't know what to tell them. They say, well, tell them one of two things. Say, well, just pray about it. 
your sponsor ever says to you, just pray about it. What he's really saying is, I don't got a clue. Or the other thing is just, well, just do what it says in the book. And I said to him, well, just do what it says in the book. Turn to page 86. And just do that. And this guy, without preconceived notions, without prejudice or opinion, went to the book and actually started doing everything it said. When he retired at night, he constructively reviewed his day. He looked to see where he was off the track from the decision he made in step three. So that in the morning on awakening, as he ponders or considers or contemplates what's on his plate, he knows where the correction needs to be. Because the last thing you ask yourself at night before you go to sleep is we ask, we ask God and maybe God and ourselves what corrective measures should be taken. And it becomes one of the first pieces of business in the morning when you consider your plans for the day this unfinished business from the night before. And this guy started doing all this stuff and asking God to divorce his thinking from all the aspects of self and relief, freedom from the uh, self-will and all this stuff. And, and at no time at all, he was doing better than I was, which I do not like that. And how, many, how often do we suggest to somebody else that they do something that the truth is we're not doing? And then we see the results they get and go, man, you know, I probably should do that. And I started doing exactly what he was doing. I started following the directions. And I, I've been doing that now for a, a couple decades, I guess, where every night before I go to bed, it takes, takes two minutes. I uh, review my day and I'm looking. I'm looking for things that need correction. I'm looking for where I've moved off out of line. I'm looking to see how I need to readjust myself back to the, to the decision I made in step three. I think often uh, what we do in AA is, is this, this combination in, of self-examination, meditation, or slash contemplation. If you look at how Emmett Fox talks about the three approaches to God, what the, the directions in the book almost fit his contemplation description more than the meditation description, but whatever you want to call it. The directions in here, if I follow them, they're designed to work with the self-examination. It's, it's, they're connected. There's a little pa passage in step 11 in the 12 steps and 12 traditions where Wilson explains why we work these together, why this in-depth inventory that's actually more in-depth than the the description of how you do step 10. It's more in-depth than step at night and why that's part of step 11. He says in there that self-examination, meditation, and prayer, when taken separately, is, and that's what I was doing, can bring about much benefit and relief. I don't need relief. I'm a relief junkie. I seek relief in it, to my own demise. What I need is what he talks about in the next line. He said, but when they're logically related and interwoven, they create an unshakable foundation for life. The thing that after you're practicing this a while and problems come your way, it doesn't rattle you because you got something underneath you that's greater than the obstacles before you. It's an unshakable foundation for life. And you see, I got, I got a guy right now who's got stage four 
pancreatic cancer and he's under it's unoperable he's under a death sentence and he's a wonderful guy and i talk to him and he humbles me in his positive spiritual attitude under a death sentence it's humble to humbling to me because he has an unshakable foundation for life he's been doing this a while he's got something under him holding him up that's more that's stronger than what's wearing him down and so these these are meant to be done together and and so I, I do this nightly review and I'll tell you there's one question in there that uh I first time first time I started when I first started reading this I thought oh no that can't be right was like it says was I kind and loving towards all well all's not right Let's face it, there's people who don't deserve kind and loving. You know, I'm kind and loving to the people that are kind and loving to me, for God's sakes. But what about the mean people? What about the angry people? What about the people that are doing it wrong? What about the people that are hurting your family or hurting AA or hurting your pride? What about, they don't deserve kind and loving. I may be nice to them, but kind and loving? Come on, what do you think I am, Mother Teresa? And it says all, all, as God would be kind and loving to all of us. I mean, wouldn't it be horrible if, if, if he only helped the ones that deserved it? I, I have a, a prayer I gave a guy that's 25 years ago. I was sponsoring a guy who was sober a long time. He was sober actually longer than I was. But he'd never worked the steps, and he was... If you've ever seen someone that's sober physically over 20 years with the benefit of step none, they're a bit brisk. And you, do you ever, do you ever walk, do you ever drive down a, a, an asphalt road in August when the heat waves are coming up off the road? These guys have that. You, you can feel it. it just it, they bristle with this stuff. He's, he's very uptight. Has no friends, no family. Nobody will have anything to do with him. And he was going to commit suicide. Well, when he started going to get the gun to kill himself, he thought, well, I might as well get drunk and minimize the pain of it in case it hurts. And the minute he thought about getting drunk, he got scared. He's not afraid of dying. He's afraid that the people in AA that he resents so harshly are going to realize he lost his sobriety. And so he comes to me and he asks me, would you help me? And I'm a bit suicidal. And I, okay. Well, about a month into this, and I'm trying to get I'm trying to get him to get through this fourth step because he's got a ton of resentments. Um, and I'm sitting, I'm standing outside uh, my home group speaker meeting one night, and he's going on and on, just trashing all these people that I kind of that I like. Some of my sponsor, they're members of my home group. He can find fault. He can find fault in Mother Teresa. He can find fault in anybody. And he's trashing all these people. And I finally said to him, I said, stop it. I don't want to hear this stuff. Stop it. And he goes, oh, yeah, okay. And I start to get ready to leave. And I said, to him, I, said I want you to do something. He said, what? I want you to go home. And I want you to get down on your knees. And I want you to beg God to say, God, please, tomorrow I want you to judge me and treat me the way I've been judging and treating people today. And I said, I'll call me tomorrow. And I walk 
half, I'm halfway to my car and I see, I hear this loud, I'm not going to say the F word, but across the parking lot, as it sank in what that prayer would mean. Because he's, he doesn't want that any more than, uh, he does, he wants to give it. He just, he can give it, but he can't take it. And that's really the core, you know, in the prayer uh, that we say at the end of most AA meetings, my, it's actually my favorite prayer of all the prayers that have ever come into, in and out of AA and all the prayers I've ever encountered in religion. My favorite prayer is the old pre-Christian version of the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's fantastic. And so uh, in that prayer, it says, it, it talks about a relationship between two things. The desperate need and desire for forgiveness and our ability to forgive others. It says, forgive us our trespasses as, implying you, you got to do this to get that, as we forgive those who trespass against us. You, you, you're tired of being depressed. You're tired of feeling inadequate. You're tired of beating yourself up. How do you take yourself off the hook? You take them off the hook and you end up off the hook. What a beautiful line. And, and, and that's uh, really what, what, what we're trying to accomplish here is this freedom from this bondage of self. That, and it doesn't, ego is funny because it doesn't matter whether it's I feel superior to everybody or I feel like such a low piece of crap, I'm worse than everybody. I'm not one with everybody in both cases. I'm in a state of separation, whether I'm better than or less than. I ain't, I ain't with you. And so what do we do? We, we, we say this every night. I had a guy, so funny. I, I just went through this with another guy, but he didn't get it. He just, he wouldn't wake up to it. I get guys that, good members, solid members of a sponsor, a lot of people do a lot of stuff, but they have a hard time doing step 11. And they intend to do it because I tell them, I said, I want you to, you got to sit, quietly and answer those questions before you know before you go to bed at night when you retire and they they intend to they go oh yeah yeah i'm gonna do it and and then when i ask him well I, I i i didn't i didn't get around to it and they're honest with me which i respect but they don't do it so one of the things i've done probably a hundred times at least over the years is i will give guys an instruction that's not designed to enlighten me but designed to discipline them and what that instruction is, is, okay, you need some accountability in order to learn the habit of doing this. So I want you to answer those questions on the top of page 86 every night in an email or a text to me every night. Can you do that? No, nope. and I want to see them every night. And the guys will go, yeah, and then I'll start getting them. And what it does, it's not that I need to know the answers. They need the discipline of doing it. And I got this guy who's now sober 30 some years. Um, and he, he likes, he likes me to tell the story. I've told it when he's in the room a couple of times and he's sending me these emails and every day I get an e email from him and it's, was I resentful? No. Selfish? No. Dishonest? No. Afraid? No. I want apology? No. If I kept something to myself? No. Was I kind and loving towards all? Yes. What could I have done better? Really nothing. Where to think it, you know, and I mean, now, now it's feasible that you could have one day like that once in a while, but I'm getting this for three weeks every day. 
And I'm thinking, no, either either this guy's delusional or he's the reincarnation of Gandhi or something. I mean, it was like impossible. So I call him up and I said, I said, man, you're sending me these emails every day. You're never selfish, afraid, resentful. You don't owe any apology. Yeah. yeah, he says, oh, yeah. I love my sobriety. I'm so grateful to be sober. My life's really good. I have, I'm full of gratitude. I said, well, that's great. He said, no, I really, I'm, I don't have any self. No, okay, okay, that's good. I said, I want you to do something. He said, sure, anything, anything. Spots, what you want me to do? I, I want you to print up those questions. I want you to make 100 copies of them. I want you to give them to your wife to answer every night. And there's this dead silence on the phone, and then this meek little voice that goes, that's not fair. <laughs> And when Clancy says this is a disease of perception, boy, he hits something. When he looked at it through his own filters of justification or, you know, stuff, rationalization, he didn't think there was any problem there. As how many of us, we, we live with the elephant in the room. And, and how often guys like me will judge my spiritual condition based on how I feel rather than what I do. And you want to know if you have a good sponsor? Good sponsors don't care how you feel, but they care what you do. I Clancy was such a, when he started sponsoring me, he was shocking because I, my first sponsor and I were so close. He's like my dad. I could talk to him for hours and he just would listen to how I feel about stuff. But Clancy, no, no, he did not like that. He didn't, he didn't really care how I felt. But my God, he cared what I did. I could tell him I raped a nun and he'd give you a story about how he did something similar to that 20 years ago. And don't feel bad, kid. Just got to make amends. And, you know, he'd be, he'd be, he wouldn't beat me up over it. It was like he would try to try to bridge the thing between me and him so I know I'm not alone. He'd be very kind. I'd do horrible things. He'd be very kind. But if I told him I missed my commitment at my home group, you'd think I peed on Bill Wilson's grave because he was more concerned with my participation in my solution than he was on how I felt. And I, uh, I love that because I'll tell you, the, the opposite of that is so erroneous that you never see and wake up to the truth. There have been times in my sobriety but probably in my mid-teens, when I was, I was just, and I'm selfish and self-centered, so if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to answer you based on how I feel. I'm doing great, man. Did you see my new Jag? You see my Harley? I'm doing great. I'm, this is, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm doing great. Yes, Clancy? I don't know. Bob lives through this. He might help some people. Because I was feeding everything that should have been starved. My second divorce, I went through it, and it was painful. And it was expensive. And it was depressing. I felt like a failure. I felt like, I did again, I'm doing this my second divorce. I felt horrible. And I, I would talk to Clancy... And uh, he would give me directions and I would follow them. And if you ask him in the middle of that 
internal emotional turmoil I was going through. How's Bob doing? He would say, Bob's doing great. Bob's making his commitments. He's calling me several times a week. He's still praying. He's doing what he said he's going to do. He's sponsoring guys. He's looking for people to help. And he would base how I'm doing on what I'm doing and not on how I feel. Because there have been times in my sobriety I've felt good and done bad. And there have been other times where I felt bad but been doing good. And the only thing that, that gives me a view of reality in my particular life has been the actions I take. You want to know who I am? Watch what I do. Want to know what kind of an AA member I am? Watch what I do. You want to know how serious I am about God and surrender and all these things? Watch what I do. Some days, I'm not the best example. But you'd always see a guy that's in the game. You'd always see a guy that's trying and, and making big mistakes, but trying. And I, and I think that's, that's perfect to judge how you're doing. have a good sponsor that judges how you're doing by what you're doing. And so in the step, we start to consider our plans for the day. And I, you know, how many times uh, I get to the end of the day and I do that nightly review and I got something stuck in my craw. You know, it could be anything from being real too hungry and going to a restaurant. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but whenever I go too long without eating and I go to a restaurant, it's like the kitchen staff gets together and they go, at Bob's really hungry. Let's slow everything down until his head blows up. You know, it's, now they don't do that, but it seems that way, you know? And I've gone off on I've gone off on waitresses, and they're not doing anything to me. They're just doing their job. And then that night, at night I think about that, and I, man, that ain't right. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve my anger. They didn't deserve the things I said. That was out of line, Bob. And I asked God, what corrective measure should I? take and I wake up and I woke up one time and I knew that I just I knew I got to go to that restaurant and I got to have a conversation with that waitress and I got to tell her how sorry I am for what I said and did and my attitude in there and she works hard and she didn't deserve that because she didn't do anything to me I'm taking everything personally as a selfish self-centered person and then you go and you make those amends and it's like it's like something's lifted up off you that you don't even know is on you until it's gone. It's amazing. That's it's one of the things about amends is it, it's like every time I've made an amends in my life, it's like cutting a sandbag off the side of a hot air balloon. My very spirit, my very being gets lift from it. And what am I getting lift from? I'm getting lifted out up and out of myself and I get a bit of a feeling of freedom because it's off me now and so I, as I go through the day I um, I watch for things I do in step 10 and I watch and what I don't catch in step 10 I catch in 11 
You know, I think that the relationship between the nightly exam, self-examination in step 11 and the on-the-spot uh, self-examination in step 10, because step 10 is in the moment. You know, I'm supposed to pause when agitated or disturbed at all and look through those five things it says in the book. But here's what happens to me. And I think it happens to a lot of us. You you work this program and you take it out in the world and you take it in your job and you take it in your relationships. And what happens is I get a big, robust, full life. And a lot of my days, I'm going from one event to another, one return phone call to another, one place I got to meet a guy to another. And it's just like that all day. And I get agitated and upset about something. And I, instead of pausing and doing the five things in step 10, I roll over it because I'm busy. The problem with that stuff, you roll over enough of that and it starts to build up. And it starts to affect the way I, I show up in the world. It starts to affect the way I feel about myself, the way I feel about you, the way I feel about life. And so you go to New York City or any city that's full of big skyscrapers, Dubai, Hong Kong, and it's, you'll see this in New York. This is the first time I ever saw this was in New York City. You'll see in these skyscrapers, sometimes they're doing repair work on the outside of the building for maybe replacing windows or, or some of the facades, that concrete facades, they have the fancy stuff in the building. And they might be doing it on the 70th or 80th floor. Well, they're working on the outside of the building on the 70th or 80th floor, so they got a net underneath where they're working because if you drop a hammer from the 80th floor, by the time it hits the ground, it's a freaking missile, right? So they put a net under there. And then if you look on the first floor, they'll have two tiers of scaffolding with more nets above the scaffolding because they know something. They know that there is a chance that something could get through a brick, a piece of concrete, a hammer could get through the first net. And so the second net is to, is to catch what was missed in the first net. And I think that's when Wilson put that thing at night, he knows, he knows guys like me. He knows I'm going to miss a lot. I'm too busy to look too clearly. I, I'm supposed to watch for the, for the return of self. I'm supposed to watch for resentment, dishonesties selfishness, fear. I'm supposed to watch for those stuff. And then when I see them, I'm supposed to immediately ask God to remove them and then call, call my sponsor, discuss them with someone immediately. Now, if it's something I've done that's embarrassing, immediately could be six months. Make amends quickly. And I, I learned from my own painful experience that I have a t selfish egocentric people like me hate, hate making amends. I'm afraid of it. I feel I'll be diminished. I'll be made small. I hate it. And so what do I do is I put it off. Now I know, I don't argue with this. I know intellectually I need to go make amends to that guy I mistreated. But I put it off and I put it off. And why would I put it off? Well, I mean, he could die. The planet could blow up. And I put it off with an erroneous hope that I'll never have to make it. And here's the problem with that. 
every single time I've ever done that, I spiritually and emotionally suffer in the gap between the deed and the amends. It's like a stone in my shoe. It's like an irritant and it never goes away. You know, you can try to sweep it under the rug, but every just keeps popping up. And then you know that you need to make the amends. If you do that a few times and then you finally, after a month or two months of putting it off, you finally bite the bullet. You finally, as it says in the book, take your, the bit in your teeth and you finally go and you make it right. What a tremendous relief. Because why, why is it so much relief? Because that's what I should have done right away anyway. You know? Uh, I, to reduce the separation, to reduce the conflict. and um, So the way that step 10 and 11 work together, to, they work together for, for two things. One is to align me with God and to carry out that decision I made in step three. And the other thing is so to grow me in usefulness. That that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to let God and the and my own alcoholism craft me through the difficulty with it into becoming a better servant. That I can be more helpful to God's kids. One of the great uh, verbiages in AA is the word only in step 11. I think that word in the in the 11th step epitomizes what we're about when you think about it you're 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 asked to pray only only for knowledge of god's welfare you don't petition god you don't give god directions you don't say god uh take a knee and i want you write this down grant god grant me this serenity give me serenity put that down serenity to uh, uh, courage, put that courage, God, any courage. You don't, you're not telling God what to do. You're not playing God. You're trying to align your will with God's. And one of the, and I'll say this prayer, one of the earlier versions, I got this from Mildred from Toronto um, of the Lord's Prayer. So it's one of the only prayers that really lines up with the 11th step. And, the, and we all know the Christian prayer that used in churches, but the, the pre-Christian version was a little bit different in the second part. And when you look at it objectively, the pre-Christian version has continuity between the first part and the second part. The Christian version doesn't. In the, in the version we know today, it starts out the same as the, the, Judas, or the, uh, the Hebrew version, uh, our father. And, and that is a beautiful uh, picture. In, in Hebrew, they paint... They, they, they paint pictures and there's a picture uh, t- described in some, in, I think in the Torah where they're talking about God as if he was your father, who as he's coming home from work and you're his son and you're standing on the porch that's about eight steps up, that your son, as you get near, throws himself off the porch into your arms because our father is the one that will never let him fall. And he'll always catch him. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's just simply a praise of that which is true. It's an acknowledgement. Hallowed be thy name. Thy will, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
Step 11, pray only for knowledge of his will for us. Thy will be done as it is in is on earth and it is in heaven. And then here's where it, it changes in the second part. In the Christian version, it's it's you're giving God directions. It's not thy will be done anymore. You're saying, give me this day my daily bread. Forgive me my trespasses. In the pre-Christian version, it's, it's an acknowledgement. It says something along the lines. It's Hebrew, but it would translate closely to, you give me this day my daily bread. And he always has. You forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And you lead me not into temptation, but you deliver me from evil. And it is a recognition of that which is true. Chuck Chamberlain used to say, you don't have to ask God for anything. He's already given it all to you. You just don't know it. You're just not awake to it. Because the, the, the alcoholic mind only sees the lack. It never sees the abundance. It only sees the negative. It doesn't see the good. And I think, I think that's one of my favorite prayers. And I don't, I don't push that on anybody, but when I'm sometimes in groups, when we close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer, I will secretly say, quietly, you give us this day our daily bread. And then I'll think to myself, thank you and you always have. You forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you lead us not into temptation. And you've always delivered me from evil. And I say that and I, it, it does something for me. There's a rightness about that um, because I'm not telling God what to do. I'm just trying to align my will with God's. Let's break. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in other speaker tapes or CDs from AA or Al-Anon, please contact us at Sound Solutions, toll free, 1-877-893-2777. Or visit us on the web at soundsolutionsrecording.com. We are also available to cover your recording and sound system needs. Thank you for allowing us to be of service and carrying the message.